Welcome to the Magic and Alchemy podcast, where we talk about witchcraft, setting intentions, forgotten folklore, and mythology. Created by Tamed Wild, magicandalchemy.com is a collection of stories, rituals, and articles crafted by a variety of creators and writers, including myself, Kate Ballou, and my co-host, Kristen Lizenby. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Magic and Alchemy podcast. I'm Kristen Lizenby. And I'm Kate Ballou. Kristen, what's new in the Azores? How are the goats? How's plant prep for the spring coming? Uh, The goats are wonderful. They just moved up to a new field behind our house, so they will hopefully not be as talkative as they (laughs) normally are when we try to record, but no promises. And the spring planting is slowly coming along. The first steps are always the hardest, and the heavy rain doesn't help when you're trying to work with the soil, but we just added about 30 or 40 more strawberry plants to our outdoor garden, a lime tree, and I'm also trying to germinate a bunch of flowers right now in the greenhouse, some more exotic varieties that I normally don't do, so fingers crossed. Fingers are crossed. That's really exciting. Um, Maybe some fairy houses in the future. Yes. I know that when we were writing this, we kept texting about Ferngully, and now I really want to watch that. I don't know about you, but I was lucky enough to have Ferngully on VHS as a kid Mm -hmm. and definitely watched it more times than I care to admit. I might have also just looked it up on iTunes this morning for (laughs) anyone who's curious, but maybe too young to remember the gem of a movie that is Fern Gully. Well, now I have my plans for this evening. (laughs) (laughs) And today we'll be talking about that force of nature in the form of the fey folk, fairies, the she, dwarves, and goblins. Yeah, so one of our dear listeners messaged me the other day inquiring about whether I could share some insight into the fey folk, and I'm always quick to say that I have no firsthand personal experience in this realm. I have no recollection of spotting a fairy in the garden or leaving letters for them like Kate did as a child, and I suspect she still does today, (laughs) but Even if I say that no, I've never spotted a fairy, I believe in many things that I have yet to see with my eyes. And the more I read about the fae in folklore and, of course, fairy tales, the more I keep running into parallels between fairies, wild lands, nature deities, and ancestral spirits. The fae folk, nature deities, and ancestral spirits may be entirely different entities, but the similarities are hard to ignore. When I relocated to the Azores and found myself in this green island paradise, my interest in fairies and nature spirits in general was reignited. There is a mischievous energy here. I know Kate and I briefly chatted in one of our earlier episodes about how I was sensing a sort of prankish, maybe even unwelcome energy in one of our gardens during last harvest season, and she was quick to say, oh, it's probably just the fae, you might want to leave them an offering, 
which I immediately did because if I know anything from being a folklore addict, you don't want to get on the Faye's bad side. As luck would have it, a few months ago I found a book by Elsie Spicer Eels called The Islands of Magic Legends, Folk and Fairy Tales from the Azores. I'd been searching for a book about Azorian folklore for quite some time and had come to the conclusion that because most stories are still passed down orally here, that a written record didn't exist. So when I found this book, I was ecstatic. I was surprised, though, when I didn't enjoy many of the stories. But then again, maybe it's not all that surprising when we consider that this book was written in the 1920s, when sexism and misogyny were more visible and, sadly, welcome. But regardless of Elsie's retellings, the part I enjoyed most was her foreword, where she talked about how she arrived in the Azores to write about folklore, but to her surprise, she witnessed actual fairies. Amazing. She says they inhabit the hills of Mont Brazil, which is probably one of the most famous sites on Terceira, the island I'm on. Mont Brazil is a UNESCO World Heritage Site. There are remnants of castles, ancient stone docks that look like something you would see in Pirates of the Caribbean, and hypogea with altars that scholars believe were once dedicated to the ancient weather deity and Phoenician goddess Tanit, a perfect fairy hangout if I've ever heard of one. She also talks about seeing fairies sunbathing on Goat Island, which is not one, but two giant barren rocks that sit about a half mile or so offshore. Goat Island is mostly frequented by fishermen today, but it's also home to several impressive caves that I'm dying to explore. Once again, it sounds like the ideal fairy paradise. So it's easy to see why the Fae would love the Azores. Besides the Eden-like landscape, all nine islands are often covered in a thick layer of fog. According to the 1934 article, The Origins and Development of the Belief in Fairies, Author R. Sace argues that fairies and misty weather go hand in hand. The article says that Dr. Owen Pugh told Sir T. Crofton Croker, who I should mention were both considered experts in antiquities and had published manuscripts on fairy sightings, that when mist lay over the country, he used to walk on the turf in order to be able, in case of sudden danger, seize a blade of grass because this provided a sure protection against fairies. The author goes on to say that a friend of theirs from Montgomeryshire told him that he remembers running home one misty day when he was a boy, rather than wait alone on the site of a supposed prehistoric village for a companion who had gone to look for some sheep. The boy's refusal to wait in the fog for his friend, for fear of meddlesome fairies, may not have been unfounded, Nature deities and spirits enjoy abandoned places, and under the cover of mist, fairies were less likely to be spotted. But it might also have had something to do with the idea that incoming fog is associated with the underworld, which, as it sounds, might be located nearby or be the same as the fairy realm. This theory could have something to do with the belief in changelings, where a fairy steals a human child and replaces it with a sickly or dying changeling. While the changeling lives a life of hardship and sometimes dies in the mortal realm, the human child is healthy and well in the fairy world. 
Kristen, you wrote a piece on magic and alchemy on changelings, right? I did. I think it was a few months ago. But yeah, I go into a little bit more theory and some of the stories of changelings, if anyone is curious. Amazing. I also came across some Iberian folklore that talked about the Mora, who is a crone-like, cave-dwelling nature deity, sometimes referred to as a fairy, who lives in the mountains. Whenever the fog rolled in, people would say that the Mora was cooking, which makes me think of a witch standing over the cauldron, perhaps insinuating that when there was fog, magic was afoot. The correlation between the fairy realm and the underworld might also have something to do with spiritualism, a religious belief that peaked around 1900 and of course still exists today. Spiritualism claims that the afterlife and the spirit world were one and the same. The same article that I mentioned previously expands on this idea by suggesting a similar concept. It reads, The spirits of the dead have to live somewhere. They are often supposed to inhabit trees and so become confused with vegetation spirits. Certain kinds of trees in Morocco are haunted by jinn, and the cutting down of any large tree is thought to be more or less dangerous. In the country of the Bathanga, the sacred woods where the ancestral spirits live must not be disturbed, and in this country it is still unlucky to bring hawthorn, a common tree of the hillsides, into a house. It goes on to connect fairies with nature and ancestral spirits even more. The article says, Many people believe that plants, animals, and even inanimate objects possess souls in much the same way as men, and several writers have claimed that the fairies have grown out of these nature spirits. In considering the origin of fairy lore, we should certainly not overlook the fact that spirits of trees, wells, and rivers may be thought of as never having occupied a human body. Nevertheless, it is often difficult to distinguish clearly between these and ancestral spirits. Because, like this passage suggested earlier, the spirits of the dead have to live somewhere. Yeah, it's kind of like the Vili or Vila that we spoke about in an earlier episode, um, the Slavic or Eastern European nature spirit that represents life force or spirit energy that moves through nature. Yeah, I really love that description. It makes a lot of sense if you consider souls, ours included, to be mm -hmm. a part of a larger universal consciousness. Yeah, the oracle deck that I work with describes this energy as a shapeshifter or like encouragement to play and dance as well as the honoring of nature. What deck is this? I'm sure our listeners are just as curious as I am. It's the Goddess Oracle by Amy Sophia Marashinsky. My friend Victoria recently told me about it and it's fabulous. Thank you. Yeah, and as you mentioned, Kristen, I have long been a lover of fairies. If you were to talk to my mom, you would find countless letters that my sister Grace and I wrote to two flower fairies named Lily and Buttercup in our garden. 
we used to build houses for them, and my friend Jules would join us after school. And I even brought a fairy to a sleepover once in a tiny jewelry box that I had decorated. (laughs) (laughs) My friends and I then noticed that the fairy had escaped from the jewelry box and spent the whole evening searching for a trail of glitter around her house. (laughs) Um... Which is a story that gets brought up every time I'm with that group of friends still. I bet. The fae folk of my childhood were like Cicely Mary Barker illustrations, and my Grandma Lucy kept a whole library of beautiful books in the attic up the street from my house, and my sister and I would pore over these stories, looking for ways to see beyond the veil, speak to the fae folk, and perhaps, maybe, one day visit the world of fairies ourselves through a ring of mushrooms or a fairy tree. We would often look for fairy or wishing rocks on Lake Michigan or the banks of a river or any other water that we frequented. A wishing rock is a stone with a perfect ring wrapped around it. They're said to bring wishing magic to whoever finds them. My sister and I believe these to be created by the fae folk, and this is a practice that I still do whenever I'm by water. I kind of thought that this was popular folklore, but my friends had no idea about it, which was kind of exciting to me. Cody and I have multiple wishing rocks around the apartment, as well as in our car, which makes me smile whenever I see them. However, I will say that the fairies of my adulthood have not had the same sort of charm. They have become more gnarled, like wood, or perhaps even dwarf-like. My poetry professor, who I mentioned in our Word Witch episode, Diane Seuss, first introduced me to the Duende. The Duende comes from the Spanish meaning Master of the House, and he is a dwarf-like trickster character. I actually have a Duende tattoo, and when I was in Portugal, my friend laughed at me and wanted to know why I had Goblin tattooed on me. (laughs) The poet Federico Garcia Lorca has a whole lecture on the theory and play of the Duende, which is really amazing, and if you have the chance to read it, please do. We'll make sure to add it to the show notes. But Lorca writes, The Duende, then, is a power, not a work. It is a struggle, not a thought. I have heard an old maestro of the guitar say, The duende is not in the throat. The duende climbs up inside you from the soles of the feet. Meaning this, it is not a question of ability, but of true living style, of blood, of the most ancient culture, of spontaneous creation. Lorca, in his lecture, quotes Manuel Torre, Everything that has dark sounds has duende. And Duende energy is really how I see the fae folk now. I love Lorca, his contribution to the magical realism genre, and just the literature world in general is priceless. Yes, I definitely agree. I love his poetry so much. Um, When I was in Granada, I got to go see the house that he grew up in, and it is truly like a portal to another world. That's so special. Mm-hmm. And and even, too, like, the Duende in pop culture. Like, I know Nick Cave from, you know, Nick Cave and the Bad Seeds has a whole interview about Duende, which it's really cool to see this folklore, as well as Lorca, being channeled into modern music. I definitely need to check this out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, another sort of fey folk archetype. When I was living downtown Detroit, there's this really large event every March, and it's called the March of the Nain Rouge, or Red Dwarf or Devil. According to various narratives surrounding the figure, the French colonizer Cadillac was told by a fortune teller to appease the Nain Rouge. But upon encountering the creature, he smacked it with his cane and shouted, Get out of my way, you red imp. As a consequence, a string of bad luck befell Cadillac. He was charged with abuse of power and reassigned to Louisiana, later returning to France, where he was briefly imprisoned and eventually lost his fortune. Legend in Detroit holds that the Nain Rouge's appearance would presage terrible events for the city. The creature is said to have appeared in 1763, before the Battle of Bloody Run, where, supposedly, the Nain Rouge danced among the corpses on the banks of the Detroit River. This legend has become an enduring part of the folklore of the Detroit area. Two workers claim to have seen the creature just before the 1967 riots, and supposedly it was also seen before an ice storm in 1976. During this parade, the creature is traditionally chased out of Detroit, although the parade stays entirely within the Midtown Cass Corridor neighborhood, which is where I was living at the time. At the conclusion of the parade, an effigy of the Nain Rouge is destroyed, thus banishing the evil spirit from the city for another year. According to tradition, parade participants and spectators are encouraged to wear different costumes each year so that when, when the Nain Rouge next returns, he will not recognize the persons who ousted him from the city limits and will not be able to then seek personal vengeance. I know when I went, I wore a purple wig and big sunglasses. <laughs> <laughs> At the parade, organizations call themselves the Friends of the Nain Rouge and We Are the Nain Rouge and will lightheartedly protest against the banishment parade, arguing that the Nain Rouge is not to blame for the city's ill and that considering the population loss in Detroit, no one should be banished from the city, particularly those who have been there the longest. When I went, we danced and drank in the street with fellow Detroiters, and it was a really amazing ritual to participate in and witness. I remember a while back when you first told me about this event, and I was so surprised that I'd never heard of it before. Mm -hmm. I also love that you have both the country fay experience from your childhood and now sort of the city fay experience in adulthood. And I'm curious if you've ever experienced the fay in New York. You know, I have yet to experience fay folk here in New York City. However, in the Catskills, I definitely have. I have two friends who are more like family, Nick and Alexandra, who cultivate and tend to the most beautiful land in the Catskills. Cody and I have stayed in their woods by a stream a few times, and the fairies there are so just beyond magical. Anytime I research fairies from different backgrounds, I always see a lot of Yeats who wrote extensively about fairies and ghosts and whether they were truly good or evil. In one passage, he says, These two different ways of looking at things have influenced in each country the whole world of spirits and goblins. 
For their gay and graceful doings, you must go to Ireland. For their deeds of terror, go to Scotland. I'm curious your take on this, Kate. Do you view the Fae as inherently good or wicked? Or would you say that, like anyone with a soul, we're a mix of both? Yeah, that's a great question. I think they're both, right? Like, there's flower fairies and also the duende. There's shape-shifting, but also tricksters. We contain multitudes, so fae folk must, too. Yeah. And also, like, a reminder to kind of honor those spirits, like the offerings that you were talking about earlier. But, Kristen, how do you work with the fae? And as someone running a homestead, keeping those spirits happy must be a top concern. Yeah, they are always in the back of my mind. But to be honest, I really go back and forth when it comes to the fae. I'm open to working with them, but also feel a bit clueless at times because I don't have that firsthand experience that is so valuable when it comes to working with any spirit, whether it be fae, ancestor, or otherwise. But there definitely are spirits here on this property, and I think that's pretty much the same with any 120-year-old farmhouse, especially if it's been in your family for the majority of that time. So I really like the idea that I kept coming across in my research for this episode, that the Fae, ancestor spirits, and nature spirits might share some overlap, or at the very least, there is some sort of link between the realms. Beautiful. Thank you so much for joining us today on Magic and Alchemy, a podcast from Tamed Wild. Again, we're Kate Ballou and Kristen Lizenby. You can find us online at k8blue and at East and Alchemy. Send us all of your questions, comments, or just say hello via email at podcast at tamedwild.com. You can view all the amazing offerings from Tamed Wild on their Instagram at tamedwild or on the blog magicandalchemy.com. Join us for next week's episode where we talk about the role of the maiden in spring folklore and mythology. Just a reminder that magic and alchemy are always available to those who know where to look for it. So mode it be, or something better. Until next time.